The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Sorry to keep you waiting, John. Is it John? Yeah, that's, that's right. That's an unusual name. Is it Kelvick? Yeah, sure. Well, John, you've gotten yourself in a bit of a situation, haven't you? I don't know. You tell me. Last time I checked, you only arrest someone if they've committed a crime. Uh-huh. And what would you call a million downvotes? Look, man, I just danced with a statue, that's all. Why don't you start by telling me your version of what happened from the beginning? If I told it from the beginning, you'd crap your pants and pass out. <laughs> Trust me, I've heard it all. There's nothing you can say that will shock me. Wanna bet? Look, I'm just here to help you. Are you supposed to be my lawyer or something? You're what? My lawyer. I'm not familiar with that term. You know, with everything I've seen today, I'm not the least bit surprised. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, December 7, 2017. I'm Bob Metz. I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's just right. Fade into color color into black and white under the bed clothes everything will be all right we are joined by Dave Plum, author of Inconveniently Screwed, who has been speaking on the show several times over climate change, although that's not his topic of discussion today, is it, Dave? <laughs> no, not today. Well, welcome to the show. And we're also joined by Paul McKeever, who happens to be the leader of the Freedom Party of Ontario and an employment lawyer. Yes. Welcome to the show, Paul. Well, thank you. Let's remind our listeners that they can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, subscribe to Just Right on iTunes, Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Visit us at www.justrightmedia.org where you can access all of Just Right's social media links including Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and of course all of our past broadcasts. Your book, Dave, Inconveniently Screwed, could also be a perfect way to describe what has recently happened to you yourself because you had an experience that was very much like that of Lindsay Shepard who was the teaching assistant up at the University of Wilfrid Laurier, who had all the controversy around her in the past few weeks, which we covered on our show number 532. Now, you've had a similar experience. Yeah, it wasn't and exactly. Not in the university no, setting, but in the college <clears throat> setting. Fanshawe College, and it wasn't the sort of inquisition that Lindsay went through. It was just one-on-one with uh, me and uh, the fellow who'd hired me that I reported to, and... Uh, Basically, it was a pretty short discussion. Uh, now, you weren't teaching climate change at Fanshawe College. No, I was teaching Excel. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty much a spreadsheet wizard. Another professor at uh, Fanshawe College uh, that I've helped with uh, some Excel projects over the years called me around the middle of December uh, last year and told me that the college had experienced an influx of 450-some-odd foreign students that they hadn't been expecting. This other professor had been reassigned from uh, courses to teach the uh, the foreign students, and so there were some openings, a couple of Excel courses and a couple of Access courses. So you're teaching a very technical yes, subject. Yes, it's Microsoft Office mm-hmm. uh, products, Excel and, uh, and Access. <clears throat> so with the back and forth, I was hired by email, sight unseen. I never met anybody at Fanshawe College. 
and I was hired a few days before Christmas. And then everybody disappeared for about a week and a half for the Christmas break. I got the course textbook for the Excel course uh, a little before New Year's. The college never did supply course material, text and so on. For the access course, I borrowed that material from the professor who had recommended me. Now, I can speak for hours off the top of my head about access and Excel, but the problem is if what I'm telling the students isn't in the course textbooks in more or less the order it's presented, when it comes time for them to do their assignments and write tests and all that sort of thing, it's not going to do them a lot of good. So I had an awful lot of studying to do to read these hundreds of pages of textbook and go through the exercises and figure out exactly how to present according to what was in the text material. And having very little time to prepare for that didn't really help. On top of that, over the New Year's weekend, I came down with a really, really bad cold. So, by so the this time, is going back, what, a year? Yes, going back to January of this year. Yeah, okay. So the winter session ran uh, January to, I guess, April. And uh, one of the classes uh, was Monday and Tuesday, the, an hour on Monday and two hours on Tuesday for, for Excel. Well, the college didn't run Monday and Tuesday the first two days of, uh, of January, so that class lost an entire week of instruction right off the top. So we got off to a really bad start that way. On top of that, a lot of the students did not have textbooks, and it turns out the reason they didn't have textbooks is that most of these students were on OSAP, and the OSAP checks hadn't come in. So for the first couple of weeks, I'm trying to lecture and keep these students caught up without the benefit of their textbooks, and it's, uh, it was a teaching load of 14 hours a week, but for every hour in the classroom... Uh, I was spending probably about four hours outside the classroom doing uh, reading and becoming familiar doing uh, course preparation. By two weeks in, I realized I was in over my head with the access courses, so I went to see my superior and asked if he could find somebody else to take the access courses because a week or two hence, it was going to be a choice between either doing the, the lesson preparation or marking graded assignments. I wasn't going to be able to do both. So he found somebody else to take care of the access courses and I continued with the Excel courses. We finally got the students caught up. I think there were something like 61 students that started the two classes that I had in uh, in Excel. I think maybe I lost about three students along the way out of a 61. And uh, at the end of the term, everybody that I instructed had passed. Now, 5% of the students had a D, uh, 25% were C students, 28% were B, 30% were A students, and 12% were A-plus students. So considering the rocky start we got off to, I didn't think uh, that the final outcome was all that bad because mm. basically everybody that stuck with the course all the way through had passed. Did well, yeah. The other thing was uh, the grading rubrics that they gave me to mark these assignments were too vague for my liking. Uh, the first assignment I came to, part one, it said if the student has some of this right, give two marks. If the student has a fair bit of it right, give four marks. And if the student has all of it or most of it right, give six marks. And that's a pretty arbitrary marking scheme because when you looked at part one, there were 17 individual components in terms of formulas and formatting one thing and another to mark to get those six marks. So I'm looking at this and I'm saying I can't mark this way because I don't know 
where the breakpoints are in this. So I had to develop my own grading rubrics where I would basically check off every one of those 17 points. And of course, I did all this in Excel. So the spreadsheet took care of doing the calculations to figure out how much the student had. And people didn't get two marks or four marks or six marks. They got whatever whatever, the came, percent, out on the whatever, whatever yeah. came out on the spreadsheet. And everybody got marked the same way. I mean, I'm a pretty good spreadsheet designer and programmer, but it still takes a lot of time to develop those kind of grading rubrics. So there was all that going on. But apparently the college was fairly satisfied with the results of the uh, winter semester because they invited me back to uh, take another Excel course in the summer. So I I did that, and I had, I think, 36 students in the class. And the first day, more than 10 didn't show up. But the first day is a one-hour session of which 50 minutes is teaching time, and we're expected to spend a little bit of time doing orientation, explaining to the students what the course is about, how everything is is graded, uh, timelines on things, whether it's an upgradable course, and just various other kind of house rules with, with how this goes. And that takes a fair bit most of the first session. So we really didn't get into teaching any actual Excel in that first session. Uh, In the second session, which was a two-hour session, uh, lo and behold, 10 students that hadn't showed up in the first session showed up for the second session. Now, if it had been one or two or maybe three students, I would have said to them, there's some orientation information you need, and if you have questions, see me after class. But with 10 students, that's nearly a third of the class, like it's about 30%. I didn't want to leave all those folks behind, so I made it briefer than I had the previous day, and I went through for the first... 25 minutes or half an hour, I went through what I'd gone over the previous day. And basically, I I told the students about these results that, you know, what I had gone through in the previous semester, and and I told them that you're all very smart people, as is proof of the fact that you're here means that you're smart people. And the fact that I had these experiences in the first semester means that I expect that this class will do much better than my classes in the first semester did. You're all going to do very well in this class. So I get a, an email from my boss, and it's uh, this has come through what they call a student success advisor. So these are people that the students go to if they have a problem with the professor. Now, I had asked the students in class, I said, if you have questions or concerns or problems, please come to me first, and we'll work it out. But this student didn't do that. This student kind of jumped the chain of command and went to the student success advisor first, which is fine. And what she wrote is, I am writing to you because I can't learn with the spreadsheet teacher. The main reason I can't learn is because he doesn't teach. He just talks about the previous semester. There's a fair bit of truth in that up to that point. He degrades us. The first hour class, he went though and went though, and I think she means through and through, that if you don't know certain things, you are dumb and will not pass. We're half hour into today's class, and he has said nothing constructive, just talks about how stupid we are. How do I report, Dave Plum? I heard last semester he was bad, but I never imagined it would be this bad. So this has the ring of a vendetta to it to begin with. And she also wrote it halfway through the class, so she's taking the time out of the there class was one to write student, it. There was one student <laughs> that bizarre. left. There was one student that got up and left the class about twenty-five minutes or half an hour into the second class, and she says we're half an hour into today's class. I'm pretty sure she was the one that got up and left the classroom at that point. And right after she left, I started into Excel. 
So, I mean, obviously, she didn't hang around long enough to get any benefit out of my Excel teaching because I was trying to get these other 10 students caught up in orientation. So I get this email, and my boss is our student success advisor, received this complaint this morning. My suggestion is to change something up and make the class a more welcoming learning environment for the students. I don't want this to spiral into a worse situation where they contact the college ombudsman or senior management, and so on. So I don't know who to address this particular complaint to because the student's name, of course, is not revealed to me. It's an anonymous complaint. It sounds familiar. Yeah. Now, in the workplace, also my supervisor said I'm well within my rights uh, to give valuable constructive feedback. And my understanding of this is that we're supposed to treat these people like adults and kind of relate their classroom experiences to what they will experience in the real world. Now, in the real world, I would probably know who made the complaint, and I'd sit down and have a one-to-one discussion with that person to try to resolve whatever the difficulties seem to be. But uh, if I didn't know who the person was, what I would do is call a crew meeting and discuss it with everybody and say, we have this complaint, and I'm not sure who exactly I need to address this to, but here's the situation, and let's talk about it and put it on the table, get it out in the open, discuss it, and resolve it. So that's what I did in the class. But I also pointed out in the class that these statements in here, number one, I didn't degrade anybody. Okay, I said, you're smart people, you're going to do very well in this class. So I did not say that anybody was dumb. I did not say that anybody was stupid, let alone the whole class. I did not say that anybody will not pass. I said the exact opposite of all those things. So these statements in this complaint are complete lies. And so I did a little bit of lecture on uh, slander and libel and the possible legal consequences of slandering and libeling people. And being that this was done by email, it's also uh, basically cyberbullying. I told the class that I had no intention of taking any such legal action, but if they get out into the real world and start doing this kind of thing, that bad consequences can befall them for slandering and libeling people, especially if the people they're slandering and libeling suffer uh, some sort of loss or harm because of it, say getting fired, for instance. So the next day I get called into the the office again to my supervisor, and he says, okay, he says, now we have another complaint that you have threatened the class. And I said, I guess I'm done here, aren't I? And he said, yep, that's pretty much the size of it. So apparently by addressing the issue and asking again for them to come and talk to me and reiterating the fact that I hadn't called them stupid or dumb and had said, reiterating that that I expected them to do very well, but also warning them that slander and libel are not really legally and socially acceptable things to do, apparently that's considered to be threatening in uh, in today's classrooms. And I liken it to teaching your kids to not go and play in the traffic. Uh, you say to your kid, don't go play in, the, play in the traffic because if you get run over by a truck, you're going to get hurt or worse. Okay, so apparently these days, if you instruct your kids to not play in the traffic, you're threatening them. Whereas I look at it and say I'm just warning them away from danger. But that's my story, and I don't know what there is much to add to that. I wrote a pretty long letter to the president of the college about it, uh, explaining my point of view on this, and never even got an acknowledgement of the fact that 
that he received my complaint. But that's the the situation in uh, in at Fanshawe College at least these days. Nobody could have done any further investigation of this complaint because if they'd asked any of the other students in the class, I'm sure they would have got a completely different story from what this, I assume, woman's story is. Uh So why do you think they never did any investigation? Because they just take at face value the first thing they hear. Is that their policy? Apparently. It seems to me that whatever complaints they get from students, that the professors are presumed guilty unless they can prove their innocence. Reminds me of the uh, I trust the women argument with the Bill Cosby thing. Yeah, it felt like an inquisition to me. Especially when you can't speak in your own defense. Yeah, who am I going to speak to? I mean, I couldn't speak to the students, so I spoke to the whole class. And it didn't really bother me losing the job. I mean, I came out of retirement to do this, and I was living a very comfortable life in retirement. And uh, for what I got paid... and again, this is what the strike was all about. There was a lot of these uh, partial load teachers, which is I was which one, you're of, one them. of them. Yeah, I got paid fifty dollars an hour for my classroom time, and I spent probably four or five hours out of the class for every hour I spent in class. And I never kept track of all my hours, but I would guess that in the winter semester, I likely didn't even on an hourly basis probably didn't even earn minimum wage on this. So I wasn't in it for the money. I was in it because I enjoy teaching and because Fanshawe College was in a tough spot when they contacted me and said, can you help out? And I said, yeah, I can. So I guess it's one of those things where no good deed goes unpunished, but that's the story. Well, I guess the parallel with the Lindsay Shepard thing is that she was also a teacher, in this case a teaching assistant, and uh, they believed the student who made a complaint against her over her and came in and browbeat her yes. to the point where she is now, I think she said, 70% sure she's just going to quit the entire university and put her entire education in jeopardy because of uh, the way she was treated by Wilfrid Laurier University staff. So that's the idea, is that you trust the snowflakes, I'm sorry, the students, <laughs> and uh, disrespect the opinion of the people who are teaching not even given them an opportunity to defend themselves or to um, repair their reputation. There's no benefit of, of doubt given to the professor in this case, and there's obviously, to my way of thinking, there cannot be any follow-up investigation. If they had called in several other students and, and said, what did Professor Plum say to you in class to demean you? Did he call you stupid? Did he call you dumb? Did he say you weren't going to pass? I'm sure most of those other students would have said, no, he didn't say any of those things. He said the opposite of that. But they take the word of this one student sent in this hate mail, and I pay the price for it. I'm your publicity officer. I'm here to help guide you through your apology tour. Okay, wait. Now I'm really lost. What the hell is that? Okay. You performed a disrespectful act on a statue commemorating frontier hero Mella Giffenden. It was caught on video and uploaded to the master feed. You received over one million downvotes from the public, which makes what you did a crime against the state. You will now begin an apology tour, during which the people will vote on whether or not they believe your sincerity. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. <laughs> All that crap you just said, that's that's real? Uh, You gotta be kidding me. That's how the justice system works, which I think you know. Okay, wait, so 
Uh, what happens if they don't believe me? You will undergo social correction to prevent future transgressions. What's that? Social correction? Uh, you will receive a series of neurological treatments to pacify any and all potentially negative impulses. Okay, now I ain't laughing. you guys seen this video of the guy with the statue? It's pretty disgraceful. This man was caught on video simulating a sexual act with a statue of Mella Giffenden. Obviously, people are very passionate about this, so let's bring him out. Ladies and gentlemen, John Lamar. Okay, so let's get straight to it, because everybody wants to know why would you do something so blatantly demeaning to the image of someone who is so universally respected by our country? Well, I deeply regret my actions, and I'm very, very sorry, and it will not happen again. I don't know. Does he sound sorry? I don't think so. No, I, I am. I, I really am. I had a momentary lapse in judgment, and I'm aware that I caused offense to a great many people, and I sincerely apologize. I, I'm not even that kind of guy. Grayson to Orville, are you watching? We're seeing it. I like soda. I'm a good driver. Kelly, what the hell kind of circus is this? You're telling me this is their legal process? We haven't seen evidence of any codified legal framework. I mean, it all seems subject to public vote at any given time. Captain, what she is describing is an absolute unstructured democracy. There is no record of any previously discovered society operating in such a fashion. Government by American Idol. What is American Idol? That was a form of entertainment from old Earth. People competed to see who had the best singing voice. Why? I don't know. It was a dark time. So, Dave, it seems that your issue with the college, you're no longer there now, right? No, I'm no longer there, and, and I won't go back. And you wouldn't even consider going back, would no. you? It seemed to me that they just basically, there was no process. And yet, yet they had something they call a process, a well, complaint the process. process is a student complains and a professor gets fired. And that's it. That's it. That's it. Yep. Now, Paul, you're an employment lawyer, and you, you were saying... This is very typical of many employment situations today. Yeah, this is, this is actually the climate that has been created by the Ontario government. How so? Well, they uh, introduced legislation a few years back, Bill 168, which um, said that there, you know, the employer has to have a, um, a, a uh, policy in place that deals with workplace harassment, workplace bullying. A few years ago, bullying was all the rage, is the big word. Now it's workplace harassment. Sometimes they say sexual violence, which they don't mean sex and touching or anything physical at all. It just means what we used to call uh, being lewd in the workplace or what have you. So this has developed, of course, into a, a code that says any, not just physical violence or touching, but any kind of course of unwelcome comment or, or words, which one knows or ought to have known would not be welcome is harassment. And I give the example of, of imagine you're in a, in a workplace with a partition wall, you know, the six foot tall mm -hmm. walls. And on each side of the wall that you find the following people. On the left side, you find two hunters. On the right side, you find two vegans. So we're going to imagine two scenarios. One is the two hunters are sitting there talking and the one hunter says loudly enough that the vegans on the other side of the partition can hear. Caught me a buck on the weekend. What a fantastic looking beast. Didn't go down without a struggle, though. 
caught an artery, blood was everywhere. Okay? Mm -hmm. There's a, a, a complaint made by the vegans to the HR professional that these two hunters were discussing animal cruelty, animal murder, uh, what have you, that they knew or ought to have known that that kind of discussion has no place in the workplace. I found it very disturbing. I was sick to my stomach. I had to go to the washroom and throw up. Um, you know, I love animals and they're talking about murder and abuse of animals. Uh, this has no place in the workplace. I get the feeling from the way you're telling this, that this is from real life experience. It, it, thankfully, this particular example is not real, but it's just as real and just as it's similar to things that really did happen in which I've been involved. Now imagine the other way around. The two hunters are sitting there quietly doing their work and the vegans are talking on the other side of the partition and they're saying things like, Hunters are murderers. They're all cruel. They ought to be wiped off the face of this planet. I can't believe that they're not all in jail nowadays. So the two hunters can go to the HR department, say that the two vegans were talking, they were engaged in a course of commentary that they knew or ought to have known would be unwelcome, that they got angry and felt sick to their stomach and couldn't sleep at night because of what they were hearing, the bile and the vileness of what the vegans were saying, and something's got to be done. So about a year ago, the government of Ontario introduced legislation that says now a, uh, an employer can't just have a process, you know, uh, can't just have a, um, a policy rather. They actually have to investigate if there is a claim of workplace harassment, which... Doesn't sound like that happened to Dave. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, here's what, here's what happens in practice. It could just be that you get... You know, John, the, the guy works in the mailroom to go ask a few people if anything's been a problem, and that's your investigation. So, so far, the standards aren't really legislated uh, too clearly. But in practice, what happens is that a larger employer will feel the need to show that they did a, an actual good faith attempt to investigate. And they'll pay some lawyer who's been trained in invest, you know, workplace investigation, maybe $500, $700 an hour. And that lawyer will, over the course of several days or weeks, speak to numerous people, maybe three, maybe 30, get their testimony, write up a 30, 40 page report, summarizing the evidence and giving his opinion about what was said, what was done, who said what to whom, what had the, the weight of truth to it and what did not. And then we'll say whether or not the conduct in question violated the policy and we'll leave it up to the employer to decide what to do about the fact that the policy was violated. The employer will then have to spend thousands of dollars in, in, in order to pay off that lawyer or other investigator. They're lucky if it's a lawyer. Sometimes it'll be a retired police officer or something. They won't do nearly as thorough a job on the evidence. And we'll just, I, I've seen some horrific, horrific examples, particularly in banks. Banks are fond of getting police officers who uh, drill people when they're accused of having taken money or misappropriated funds and saying, and where's the money? I don't know. So, you know, you admit that you were irresponsibly taking them, you know, this kind of yeah. nonsensical leading questions where the, the officer is actually putting the testimony in. And then, not, you know, naturally he tells the bank, I found that on a balance of probabilities, the person's, you know, taken your money, or at least they've breached the trust of the employer and therefore ought to be fired. This kind of thing. So it's a complete and utter joke, but it's a very, very expensive joke that the employers are required to go through. So... Obviously, if they just fire somebody rather than going through the investigation, and if it's not too expensive to fire them because they're a new employee, let's say, and they aren't required to give them much notice or pay in lieu of notice, that sometimes is going to be preferable to spending five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars on an investigator. 
Not to mention you'll have in the workplace several situations where if the allegation is something to do with, say, sexual misconduct or harassment, the employer will feel that now everybody knows and feels that the employer has an obligation to deal harshly with that kind of conduct in the workplace, and that if they don't, the employees will stand in solidarity against the employer and they'll have basically no workforce, no workable workforce, morale will drop through the floor. So when you, in other words, heighten this threshold, or rather lower, I guess you could say, the threshold for what constitutes harassment in the workplace, you make it near impossible for an employer to conduct business. They have to focus their efforts on keeping everybody happy. And because the employees know this now, they are, in several cases, abusing the process because there's absolutely no way that they are going to be forced to prove their allegations. The people about whom they make allegations will never know who made the allegations. And therefore, the person about whom the allegation is made has no way of speaking to the employer about, well, wait a minute, don't you understand the person who made that allegation just five minutes before I told them that if they messed up one more time on the job, they would be losing their job. I'm that person's manager. So clearly, as soon as I said that, they marched over and said I was harassing them, which caused this investigation, which they knew would probably end up in me being fired and therefore them being not fired. Okay. So these are the games that are being played with harassment, um, well, I find very, very um, significant. You're talking about employer harassment, and you know, but the conversation that you related had nothing to do with the job. Right. You're talking about a pair of hunters talking on one half, happened to talk at work, someone else talking. In Dave's case, it's not the employer who filed a complaint or someone who's working for the college. It's a customer yeah. of the college. So how does that fit in? I mean, this is all non sequitur. It doesn't even fit into the, the basic relationship that is being attempted to be regulated. If, uh, you know what, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Employer, employee, now they're pulling in everybody else. And you're saying that this totally destroys the workplace entirely. Well, and in particular, how can because you function? it's deliberately set up to be a system in which it's completely unlike the court system. Okay. So what, what do we know about the court system? In the court system, an accuser has to face the accused. Well, yeah. So the accused that's knows. in all these cases. Right. Dave's case and Lindsay's case. and So they've set it up this way, and this is how the province wants it, that everyone who makes an accusation doesn't have to fear for their job security or for their status or whether they have no repercussions because no one will know who made the allegation. So there's the first violation of, of justice in, the, in, in any rational and civil system. The second one, of course, is that there isn't going to be any hearing. There's just going to be an investigation, one person giving their opinion and the employer deciding what to do, if there's even an investigation, as we were just talking about. And then the third complication you have is, is the, the um, educational context, where, you know, Dave was talking about having been um, complained about within a, a college, or as we've seen with uh, Lindsay Shepard in a university. The university itself and the professors who work for it, uh, some, some of them anyway, clearly have an agenda where they want to shut down certain kinds of ideas or certain political points of view. So you take that corrupt system of, of investigation where no one knows who the, who the complainant is, there's zero real standard of evidence, that you it, the truth doesn't even really matter because ultimately the, the employer is more concerned about having to pay for an investigation or pay for any lawsuits that might result. And you've got a system that's ripe for abuse by any person who wants to um, uh, either get rid of a superior get rid of a colleague, get job advancement by knocking out people who are competitive for the same position, or uh, get rid of troublemaker 
professors are troublemaker students. It's, in other words, an easy way to eliminate someone's existence and also, as you say, to defame them so that they find it hard to go on, uh, even in other institutions. I think, you know, and the reason we're seeing this kind of behavior being advocated by the left is because they are, by their very ideology, you know, in favor of this idea that it's not what reality out there, outside of your mind, has to say about things. It's what your mind says. To, what matters is your feelings about what you think is going on. Mm. It doesn't matter what's really going on. It only matters what your feelings are. And that that has to be the number one priority. Now, remember, humility is the key. You're extremely ashamed of your lack of judgment, and you're prepared to accept society's verdict with wholehearted respect. And don't forget to mention the donation. I got it. All right, believe me. I'm going to just go out there and kiss ass. Yep, but not too much. They think you're pandering. They'll smell it. Just be yourself. Okay, I just want to jump in here. You know, we talk to a lot of different people on this show, and I got to say, your apology sounds very rehearsed. Yeah, it does. It's up to him. No, no, no I, I swear to God. I'm so, so completely sorry. No, no BS. I, I even donated to the Mella Giffenden Foundation for Jacked Up Kids. The Foundation for Disadvantaged Children. Right, that's, that's the one. Uh, I gave a whole bunch of money. Really? How many lots? Oh, so many lots. I have a question. Can you tell us what Mella Giffenden did that made her such a hero? She was, she did a lot of things. Name one thing she did. She saved the whale forests. He can't even name one thing. Oh my God, how about leading an entire settlement of pioneers for one? Okay. I think we've heard enough. Yeah. Let's vote. Shall we vote? Yeah, let's yes. vote. All right, let's get a badge info up there on the screen. Okay, there it is. Studio audience and you folks at home, cast your votes. Dude, I gotta say, this is creepy. I mean it, this is creepy as hell. Crime Stoppers! Usually we say, hi Steve, one more time. Hi Crime Stoppers! Let's repeat the Crime Stoppers oath! I promise not to bully my friends! I promise not to leave my keys in the car! I promise not to depreciate non-taxable items brought forth in the previous tax year. Good. And now, let's repeat the non-conformist oath. I promise to be different. I promise to be unique. I promise not to repeat things other people say. Good. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. We're in studio with Paul McKeever and Dave Plum, and Dave had a very interesting uh, experience at Fanshawe College here in the city of London. And one of the first things you said when you drew this to our attention in an email, Dave, was, and I quote, Recent personal experience has taught me that libel is now fully acceptable in our society, end quote. And I have to tell you, that was certainly my sense of the change in public attitude towards libelous statements when I first looked into the Bill Cosby case. Because here were 
women coming out in the open, literally accusing him of criminal activity, right, without being held accountable for it in public. I didn't know that was allowed. That, to me, is libel and slander. So you're dealing with libel being justified by the fact that facts don't matter, as you were talking about, Paul. And as we found out with Lindsay, not your intention, what you say, it's the effect. And I had that situation brought to my attention, too, when I was defending a landlord before a Human Rights Commission that didn't seem to care about the intentions, you know, the supposed offender. It was the effect on someone. Well, how, how can we possibly live in a society like that? That's, that, that to me, is an utter contradiction and, and contrary to all systems of justice. Am I missing something? Yeah, well, I mean, that's the perfect system for utterly unobjective governance, right? In other words, there's no possible way that you can know what's expected of you and thereby comply with the law. Because at any time, any situation can be perverted into one in which somebody's feelings are hurt, and there's no possible way you could predict that. And the government, because someone's feelings have been hurt, and because facts don't matter and feelings do, the law is the law. They said their feelings are hurt. Who are you to say otherwise? It doesn't matter that you didn't intend to hurt their feelings. It doesn't even matter if what they think you said that hurt their feelings was actually said. All that really matters is that they think it, and who are we to judge? You know, take, for example, remember that Lars Hedegaard case? Yeah. In the Lars Hedegaard case, it was made clear that truth is not a defense to that Danish law. Truth was not a defense. In a court of law. Mm -hmm. Okay? Well, I think that's where we're headed. That is, well, we're already there in many ways, when right? When did that so, stop being true? Like, why, how can truth not be a defense? That, that makes no sense at all. Well, well the judges if you say it's not. His truth is on the side of reality, you see. Truth is about, independently of you, what really happened. Not what you think, but what happened. Not how it affected you, but what happened. That's the truth. Well, how about this? My feelings were hurt by what happened to me here. My feelings don't matter. I have no recourse to this. I talked to a lawyer here in London, and, and he said, no, I was on contract. And he said, did they pay you out for whatever your term of notice was and I said yeah they paid me for two weeks after they basically cancelled my contract yep. which was, was stipulated in the contract and he said okay so the college is not alleging any wrongdoing on your part as far as the college is concerned they let you go as though you were a five-star professor right but they didn't if I were a young man and 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 this was going to be my career yeah this would have been very damaging to me as it is I feel my reputation has been unfairly tarnished as far as the money goes like why did you bring libel charges against the accuser i was told i didn't Asked, have a, i was judged. told by this other lawyer that i didn't have a case to bring libel charges because the college paid me my two-week severance which basically well, means, which have. basically means nothing wrong was done no but that that's that's one issue that's one issue the uh, culpability of the college in firing you Mm. That's taken care of. No, I don't I think, have a problem I, with that. I'm talking about the libel thing. I the person who yeah. actually said that you threatened them. Oh, I'd love to, but I don't know who it is. The, the, couldn't I think they, couldn't the, they find out? I mean, you're a lawyer. Uh, yeah, I suspect, well. yes, the, the, if, you, if you could find out who the person was, and you might be able to do that by, you know, some kind of third-party uh, examination for discovery. In other words, you don't uh, necessarily know who the Jane Doe or Joe Doe is yet, but perhaps start your proceeding this way. I haven't done it myself, so I'd have to look in the technicalities and then seek discovery of a, of a third party just to find out who the identity was. But apart from that, it seems to me that uh, what your legal advisor probably was meaning was that 
once the employer has paid you what they would have had to pay you had they simply cho chosen to let you go for, for the heck of it because they pulled your name out of a hat. Now you haven't suffered any loss as a result of what wrong was said about you. And therefore, even if you could prove that the person defamed you, it wouldn't be worth anything. The case wouldn't be worth anything because you've received as much as if you would have received had you never been lied about. So that, I suspect that's the problem there. But you're right. It's unjust, morally especially, that someone can, perverted. Yeah, can actually get you dismissed, you know, in other words, have an effect on the course of things that wouldn't have happened but for the libel. This puts a lot of power, this kind of legislation, in the hands of people who want to do mischief. Yes. Or who want to get somewhere without having to earn it. I, I've literally watched it. What happens is you're in the workplace, three of your colleagues, uh, including yourself, are applying for some job. You can immediately go and complain about the other two. The employer's forced to do an investigation, which might take weeks or months, and they might just choose to do it really shoddily and cheaply and get rid of those two. And you're the sole remaining person to be advanced through the stages. And basically that means that the dishonest and the unable, someone who was so unable to do something that they thought lying was their only option, is being promoted through the ranks. In my view, that's the motive of this legislation, to advance the cause of people who shouldn't be getting up as far as they are in the hierarchy of things and just tear down those who earned the spots they got. I often compare the workplace to, you know, that game, that TV show Survivor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it. exactly like that. You have people in every workplace who are quite capable. They're the, the strong that would win every individual challenge, as it were, right? And then you have the miscreants who are backstabbing liars who get together and speak with other people and say, you know, and they either tell a lie about the strong person, he was eating all our food, or he stole your shoes, or he threw, you know, some, some of the rice into the fire. Not, none of it necessarily being true, but so as to build distrust and hate and et cetera, and to build a unified solidarity against that winner. And the, the conspirators, which is what they become, because they realize, you know what? I don't know if this is true about this guy now that I think about it, but what does it matter? If I stick with this group of conspirators, we take out one of the strong guys and I'm that much closer to winning the prize. The, that, the idea of this, this, this show survival, I got, I got at the very beginning, it was not to survive nature. It was not to survive based on your wits against nature and the, and the laws of nature. No. It was to survive the mob. Right. It was a game of survival based on psychology so, rather than physiology. Exactly right. Saw so this as a variation on screwing your way to the top without the sex involved. <laughs> you want to <laughs> put it much. that way. Yep. And what basically the Kathleen Wynne government has made it possible to do the exact same thing without the sex being involved, yes. Yeah. Now, can we actually ascribe good motives to the people? And it's who not just women, by the way. It's men and women in equal measure. I, oh, yeah. Can we yeah, ascribe good intentions to, to the people who put forward kinds of legislation of this kind? In other words, they're trying to get rid of sexual impropriety in, in the workplace, um, advances. You, you, you look at the old uh, Mad Men TV show where you have the men who are in power basically pressing their sexual advantage over their female uh, secretaries, for example, mm -hmm. trying to get rid of that. Is that, first of all, the good intention of the, uh, the liberal government in power today, or are they using that as a way to further their leftist agenda? The latter. I thought so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I'm just, not... I just had to throw it out there that there could be good intentions for I, some I've rep you know, I've represented mostly employees, but in recent years, a lot more employers. But I, what I'm saying is I've been on both sides of the fence. And I've been to the Human Rights Tribunal. I went there. I represented a man who was being sexually harassed by another man. And in fact, I think we 
made a record uh, uh, win in that one. With, yeah. But that's not my point. My point is that real horrible things, sexual harassment happens in the workplace. As I say, that was the, the case I was just referring to was about sexual harassment. I've spoken with women and men who have, you know, cried in my office because of things that are being done. You know, they're the only woman in the workplace, let's say. You get some industries uh, where there's a lot of men and uh, the women sometimes feel pressured to to play along. You know, if the guys are making uh, se- sexual innu- innuendos or telling jokes and the women aren't necessarily comfortable with them, but they figure, well, you know what? I'm just going to play along. This isn't going to go anywhere. It's not going to hurt me personally. I'll, I'll give it a try. But after a while, sometimes it can, it can cross the line. Guys can get, uh, you know, they, they say, oh, well, she's playing along, so there are, you know, there are no, no limits to what we can say here. She's a good old fellow just like the rest of us. But you know what? Some people are in pain from this kind of stuff, and they don't express it. And that's when things pop at the seams. So those things certainly exist, and they certainly have no place in the workplace. But for every one of those, there's probably three miscreants who are trying to get people who they find to be either objectionable or with whom they've had an argument or with whom, I mean, literally it can be something as petty as somebody hit somebody else's car in the parking lot and wouldn't pay the full bill. And so I'll show you, you're going to lose your job. Or it could be, um, I heard that you're sleeping with my brother-in-law or my sister-in-law and uh, they're really upset right now with you because you broke their heart. You're gone. Uh, Here comes the lie. So these things are being done on a regular basis and people, good people, sometimes with 20, 30 years under their belt, who have been nothing but gentlemen and ladies uh, are suddenly being lied about by people who are willing to stop at nothing. They'll lie and they know that they are never really going to be held accountable. Lucella, what can you tell us about your planet that might help us figure out a way to save John? Your world is hard to get a handle on. How so? Well, the voting and rating Those badges, you all wear them? Yeah. You get one when you turn 18, and then you wear it for the rest of your life. It's how we can tell who's good and who's bad. So this is an absolute democracy? Yeah. How does your world work? We select representatives who discuss issues and enact laws. But what about everybody else? Everybody deserves a voice. That's what we're taught. A voice should be earned, not given away. How do you know... What foods are healthiest for your children, or what medicine to take if you're sick? We vote. I believe you are confusing opinion with knowledge. Now, there must be some way to influence the mass perception before it's too late. Well, everybody reads the master feed. Could this feed turn the public tide in John's favor? Yeah, but everybody uses the feed. I mean, how are you going to get millions of people to change their minds? crowd let on they could not see anything for fear they would lose their jobs and be thought of as a fool. <laughs> These here duds make me talk of the town and I wear them with ease. A silk so soft I'm on top of the world and I'm feeling the breeze. I'm feeling the breeze. I'm feeling the breeze. Look, Mama, the emperor has no clothes. He's naked! 
Did you hear that? The child's right! It's true! In this light, I can see that the Emperor is naked! <gasps> he never is naked! He's got, he's got the clothes on! Look at him, he's starkers! The Emperor squirmed, for he knew it was true. He was stark naked. But then he came up with an idea that saved his pride and his kingdom. Stop the procession! All of this was a test that I devised to see who in my kingdom would tell me the truth. And it took a child to do it. Well, thanks for dropping by. Remember, don't become a fashion victim. See you later. <laughs> In our last quarter, Dave brought up an interesting question. Whose feelings count? If person X suddenly has this problem at work and their feelings are being offended in some way, why is it that person X gets to pick and person Y, who is also perhaps feeling bad, like Lindsay Shepard did, why do her feelings not count? And why does the single complainant count? Like if feelings are an issue at all, well, again, I think in the case... Aren't they picking sides with whose feelings count? Because I think, I think personally, here's my, here's my take yeah. on it. If you're on the right, your feelings don't count. If you're on the left, your feelings count. Let me give you an anecdotal example of that exact thing. When I was on the school board here in London, I think there was 14 of us around the horseshoe, and I, you could say, would be the only person on the right meaning correct. <laughs> Everybody else is basically leftists, Absolutely. right? All there for the administration, all there for the system, all there for the, the free wine and cheese, okay? I was there to give my opinion, you know, as I saw fit, because that's what people elected me for. So when it came down to it, the votes were always like 13 to 1. And they would come to me and say, look, Robert, you know, it would be great if we could have consensus here. It looks good for everybody to <laughs> they're show. They're winning 13 to 1 everybody, and they're still not happy. You know, <laughs> and, you know, consensus is such an important thing for the public to know that the school board is speaking with one voice. And I go, I agree with you. Great. So when are you going to change your, your vote to, to suit mine? Why must I change to suit yours? You know, I'm on the right. My feelings don't count. My thoughts don't count. Theirs do. They're the mob. Fall in line. That's the consensus out there. You have to change but think if about, you're on the right. You know, you're, what you're, what, you know the old tale of, of the emperor wears no clothes. You had the whole town scratching their heads but saying, well, the we better boy not. says, yeah, he's, he's naked. He's <laughs> naked. He's not wearing any clothes, right? And, and all the town's going, oh, what beautiful robes you have, sire. And, and uh, oh, they sparkle in the sunlight and everything else. And the boy's like, this is ridiculous. He's not wearing any clothes. Why is that so damaging in that situation for the king? Well, because everyone knows that the lie only works if we all agree. And so whether it's mm. one out of three, one out of 13, one out of 300, it's the dissenting opinion that can pop the balloon of falsehood. It just takes one person just saying the truth. One. Yeah, that's why the problem. Yeah. As long as we all agree to lie, we're all good. And that's, that's why I said recorded votes for every, every vote of importance at that school board, because on the minutes, I wanted to reflect the fact that this was not unanimous. Right. And again, I'm just going to bring it back. Again, it's that primacy of consciousness. What's in your head? The, the fables in your head, the fantasies in your head, versus the the one voice of reality saying, guess what, folks? It's all a fantasy. You're making this up. And sometimes you're doing it intentionally because you just so badly want to believe it or you think you can benefit if, the, if only it were true. I think, though, in the case of, if, of, of Dave's case, 
Sure, there's that fable thinking. It's the university or the college thinking what suits the college's interests best. Should we pretend that this really happened and that uh, Dave therefore should be let go? Because if we go the other way, if we say, well, well, Dave's complaining about his feelings too, and then we take some action against the student, well, then we got hundreds or thousands of students who might come to rally to the cause of the person who said that he was he was harassing them. And that's a, that's a crisis for the college. So rather than do that, let's take the midpoint. Get rid of the one guy, the squeaker, the squawker, the fact teller. Establish a consensus of what was left behind by getting rid of him. And by the way, it won't cost us much. You know, I'll give him a couple of weeks of pay and everything's done. So, you know, if there's a pin that's going to pop the balloon, throw out the pin. It's only going to cost us a few cents and you're done. So it's uh, a purely pragmatic approach to this whole thing. Go along to get along. Go along to get along, to hell with the truth, to hell with facts. And uh, well, that's going to backfire on them eventually. Oh, yes, because... Big time. Yeah, the, the, the problem is that here they are institutions of truth and, and, and dissemination of truth. <laughs> and yet, if, if their governing policy is, we'll tell any lie in order to preserve ourselves. They're going to survive just like the NFL is surviving with, Ka- what's his name, Kaepernick. You know, taking Take the knee. knee. And so everybody's disgusted with the National Football League and they're not showing up to the games and they're losing, I think it's an order of a billion dollars so far in lost yeah. revenue. You know, I, the I universities think, are going to go the same way. They're not institutions of learning. They're institutions of indoctrination for the left. People are identifying that and going, well, I think I'll just be a ditch digger. I'll be a lot happier. Well, and they probably will because what they're going to end up learning there is nothing but a bunch of fables anyway. We all agree that um, gender is uh, trumps, for example, your biological sex. That you're not a you're not a male if you believe you're a, a woman, or a, if you believe you're a unicorn or a screwdriver. You're you're whatever you believe you are, and to say that I'm not what I believe I am is to offend me, to hurt my feelings, and that's what matters, not the fact that I have a certain biological makeup. That's when you when you are willing to do that. When you're willing to say, I mean, there's no problem. If if someone wants to believe they're this or that, that's fine. I've got no problem with that. But when you're willing to admit something that's false, in other words, when you're willing to say, yes, you're not male. When in fact, biologically, you're standing in front of me naked as a jaybird and I can see you're definitely male. And you want me to say that you're the queen of England and you're a, a, you know, three foot two unicorn. If I say, yes, you're not a male, you're a three foot two unicorn queen of England. Uh, I have just done a, a huge disservice to to truth and to the whole institution. So I, this is a mistake. Sure, certainly institutions have to have tolerance for people who have peculiar views and that to defend the life, liberty and property of everybody, no matter what they believe, no matter what they believe about themselves or their identity. But that doesn't mean that you have to believe that A is not A or that up is down or that black is apple or that so on and so forth. No one should be required to put someone's beliefs or someone's feelings above the facts of reality. You're talking about the primacy of consciousness versus the primacy of existence. That's We've right. talked about this on the show before. Yes. And your own anecdote, Robert, I think confirmed very much that the only people whose feelings count are those on the left. I think, too, when you're, when you're looking at uh, Marxism and that kind of thing, the left have a political reason to lie about certain things. Like, for example, to lie about male and female uh, as biologically determined and reality determined things. There is a motive in saying, though, the mind is what matters. Belief about gender is what matters, because then you can upend the institutions that for the most part are are necessary. Here's something interesting. 
Lindsay Shepard said she disagreed with Jordan Peterson right. on the gender issue. So she's kind of on the left. Right. So there she is. She's you know hoisted by her own petard, so to speak. Exactly so. And this is going to come back and haunt the left itself because they can't meet their own standards. Well, when they have so, none, right? I mean, that all goes right back to that radical uh, skepticism and radical uh, moral subjectivism. When it's just going to be who holds the bigger hammer at the end of the day. They're paving the path to... F- to might is right, because the mind... Yeah, it's, it's frightening. Yeah, the, the truth, when the truth doesn't matter, all that matters is who has the bigger gun. What's interesting is the frequency that this must happen, because here you are, Dave, with your story. We only know about Lindsay Shepard's story because she surreptitiously recorded her interrogation, uh, audio recorded and posted on the internet, which didn't exist 15, 20 years ago. So are we going to, like the police now, Going to have around with uh, going to have to walk around with audio recording and video recording devices on us just so people can know the truth. It's strongly recommended by me, as a lawyer, from day to day. People go into these meetings, and I'll tell them, and, and everybody out there in Ontario can listen to this. It's true. You do not have to have anyone's permission to turn on your iPhone audio recorder. It's not the same as you know t- tapping a phone, which is highly illegal. But just recording the, the sounds that are around you is not illegal in Ontario. I believe the law is, and I had to look this up because I was in business and recorded phone conversations. If you're not in the business of making money, then you can do that. But if, you're, if for example, there's a, um, a monetary gain for me recording a phone call, for example, as a, as a commercial retailer, then I have to tell the other person I'm recording the call. If there's no money involved, then yeah, you can just walk around with an audio recorder on you all the time and record everything that's being said to Absolutely. you. Absolutely. And I, and I can tell you right now that so much misrepresentation of what happens at these meetings, there's so much of it that those tape recordings or audio recordings have from time to time made the difference between what would have been a two-year protracted legal battle with a liar on the other side and a settlement that took two weeks because you had them dead to rights. And I'm not, I'm not speaking without experience. I'm talking dead to rights, got you on the tape, give the lawyer the, on the other side a copy of the tape, and we're all done. I guess it's always good practice to just basically just tell the truth, and then you don't have to worry about whether you're being recorded or not. That's exactly Boy, right. Boy, that, that just takes you back, doesn't it, to the day when people actually told the truth? Well, don't record this, Robert, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, I find the truth is easier to handle because I have such a terrible memory. <laughs> I could never exactly. keep track of all the lies that I had to keep track of. Yeah. Well, guys, the hour, is, the hour is gone really quickly, and I think, um, uh, Dave, in your email that you sent, where in the hell are we going as a society, no place civilized? That much is certain. Hopefully we'll find a solution to this, and we will continue our civilized conversations again next week when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white, under the bedclothes, everything will be Schultz, I can't understand why the general wasn't on that train. It isn't like him to be late for anything. No, it isn't. That's one thing I must say in General Burkhalter's favor. Not that I haven't got a lot of things to say in his favor. (laughs) Schultz, stop your weaseling. Like all of us, the general has his good points as well as his faults. Yeah. (laughs) What do you think my faults are? I wasn't talking about you. 
You know, Schultz, the trouble with you is you're afraid to say anything you think. Filled with fear, frightened to express any kind of opinion. Oh, no, Herr Commandant. I talk about you all the time when you are not around. Oh, shut up and drive. 